Well, thanks for stopping by. Today, we talk about microservice security. We unwrap the layers of the onion to help you, as the developer and the security team, understand what to do next. Welcome to Threat Actions This Week, the show where we look at the latest threats, tech, and actions your organization can take. Today's top security talent share their insights with you. I'm joined by four experts who can leap a monolith in a single bound. First, I've got Anil Carmel. He is the co-chair of the NIST Cloud Security Working Group, founder of C2 Labs, joining from Washington, D.C. today. Welcome, Anil. Thank you very much for having me, Dave. Not at all. And Duncan DeVore, he is the co-author of Reactive Application Development, available on live books today. You can pre-order that on Amazon. It is a must-read. He's a software engineer over at Lightbend, joining us out of New York City. Thanks for making the time, Duncan. Yes, thank you. A pleasure to be aboard. And we've got Brian Kelly. He is the head of Conjure Engineering, now part of CyberArk, joining us out of Boston. Glad you could join us, Brian. Happy to be here. Thank you. And Peter Madison, the founder of Zodiac, Zodiac with an X, and he's joining us out of Toronto, Canada. Welcome to the show, Peter. Pleasure to be here. We've come a long way in our industry, haven't we? We've moved from centralized, monolithic, much derided monolithic applications to more of a decentralized microservice, living the services-oriented architecture dream, I suppose. Mind you, the service-oriented architecture dream was more of a nightmare when we think about all the dueling standards and dueling vendors. And now when we look at the world of microservices, it seems like it's here to stay. It's based on successful open source projects. We've got the cloud hyperscale scalers and behind it, it's trickling down into the average organization through digital transformation projects or whatever you want to call those, but coming to life through DevOps. And we'll get to a framework to think about microservices security. But first, Duncan, for the many listeners who may not have a deep understanding of microservices, could you give maybe a quick example of what that might look like as I start to move from my monolithic architecture to a microservice? space architecture. Microservices is definitely very tricky. Initially, the thought is to give the ability to teams and groups of individuals to be able to create software solutions independent of one another and then deploy them independent. So they kind of have their own isolated life cycle. I think what is really going on behind the scenes and one of the things that we espouse to is that it's more than that. It's actually an entrance into the world of distributed computing which is significantly different from your traditional monolith-based style of software architecture. And so what we try to say is, is that a microservice is a service that should be self-governing. It creates its own roles, it understands reality around it, and it, it accepts the fact that its current state of now or its, its current state or view of the world is only that which within it has its own, has grasp of, meaning it's data that it, it centrally controls, or I should say locally controls, not centrally. To wrap it all up and, and make it simple, I would say it's an introduction into distributed computing in a safe, but one needs to be educated about the process so they don't fall into the pitfalls that 
many of us have fallen into in the past. And so essentially I'm taking my big old application and I'm pulling out the different functions of that application, the shopping cart, the billing, the component that may fire off an email to say, hey, your order's been processed and then to actually ship the item or, or what have you. So you're breaking that apart into individual components of that application. The areas that you raise all for me, the security antenna are vibrating intensely as you're talking about components of an application that are distributed, but have a pretty significant attack surface to them. So I want to get back to that point and also get back to the idea of eventual consistency, because that's also can raise some some issues. Anil, the cloud security working group, they take a longer term view of standards and of technology. And what are some of the top concerns that are being discussed within the group? Within NIST, it's really focused on what are the ramifications of this new architecture, this new approach, and where does security play a role? So in that regard, there have been a couple publications that have been, been announced and some that are in the works. From a container-specific publication perspective, SP800-190, the NIST Application Container Security Guide, provides some best practices from a container-specific point of view. There's work going on within the NCCOE, or National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, within NIST to continue work around microservices architecture and container architecture. And furthermore, there's a public working group that anyone can join. The Cloud Security Alliance has put together called the Cloud Security Alliance Application Containers and Microservices Working Group, which I also serve as a co-chair to, to, again, define what those best practices are for both containers and microservices. I do find that the NIST special pubs generally are made to be human readable, that you can pick them up as a security pro, have a read through it, understand it, and be able to apply it within your organization. So having a look at the special pubs, whether it's 800-190 or the the other pubs that you're talking about, useful for an organization to go through to see some of the risks they're going to be looking at, but also some of the countermeasures and some of the architectural considerations that they're going to want to think through. Peter, you're in the middle of the banking industry looking at their adoption of microservices. Where do you see them today, or maybe just generally in the market? How do you see microservice adoption? I think in a lot of the legacy enterprises, the ones that have been around for quite some time, yeah. Microservices are taking a little while to really grab hold. I mean, everybody talks about it, but how many people are actually doing it? I'm seeing a lot of very macro microservices, which are where people are doing things that consist of large monoliths released every three months, but it's got 20 or 30 services wrapped up in it. But we're going to call that a microservice. And I go, well, that's not really a microservice. We're not seeing um, anything around like versioning of the services and uh, appropriate service registries and all the other things that we would expect to start to see if you're going to get reuse of the services and other component parts that you can start to get out of a microservices architecture. Uh, it's still very much, uh, as you put it, uh, nascent at this point. Brian, you've been tracking the space for a while. And actually, it was a couple of years ago, you wrote a piece about 10 of the things you better watch out for as you move into the world of microservices. What are you seeing today? What would be the top considerations? My thinking has largely evolved since that article because of just the sheer amount of changes in the microservices technology world. And specifically, I think that one of the biggest ones is in the orchestration and scheduling side of things. Like... Kubernetes, OpenShift, Pivotal Cloud Foundry, anything that's going to run your containers. These platforms are bringing one of the final big missing pieces for microservices, which is handling some of the really tough distributed systems problems that developers on the whole are not terribly expert in and need a little bit of handholding with. 
but there have been some really fast races to market in those areas and some of the platforms are deficient in certain areas and sadly security is the area that as always gets left to last and we've seen it time and time again that these platforms have varying levels of support for secure deployment but they are drastically changing the pace and adoption of microservices in some of the large enterprises in the financial services sector regulatory environments etc so that substrate that things like uh, kubernetes etc that's driving adoption in a sort of a hockey stick curve that we can see now and it's also sort of bolstering the DevOps initiatives at a lot of these enterprises. I want to come back to that and talk about whether it's the orchestrator like Kubernetes or Swarm or what have you, and some of the ways that on the one hand, it can help security, but on the other hand, how it's increasing the attack surface and itself potentially causing more issues. Let's though back up a step and think about the big security triad of confidentiality, integrity, and availability. When I think about one of the areas that seems to change Although confidentiality and availability still remain prominent, Duncan, it seems maybe that integrity becomes a little bit more pronounced as an issue. You wrote that the light from a distant star may seem like now, but it's not. Correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm conflating integrity and consistency a bit too much, and if you wouldn't do that, what are some of the major changes that we're seeing from a CIA perspective? And do you think integrity is one of the issues we're going to be bumping up against? I think integrity is really, really important. And I think the reason, obviously, the reason behind why it's important is, is obvious, but I think the application of your microservice or the design of your microservice and how it relates to integrity is crucial. I see security as like an onion skin. You should never just assume that you've created something like Blowfish encryption and nobody can ever break it, right? You, you have to assume that someone's going to break it. So you're going to take multiple steps to ensure that it's, it's secured. So, for example, one of the things that they taught us in the Army was that, hey, if somebody doesn't know you're there, then they don't know where to attack you. Security is this complex concept of a multi-layered approach. So integrity of data is something that we would like to assume is accurate because of our monolithic backgrounds. But the reality of it is, as we move to distributed computing, and as you had mentioned earlier, eventual consistency, data integrity is relative, right? It's relative to your point of view. And so understanding that, I think, is the first hurdle. After you understand, then you can begin to implement things to address that. And you have the same thing in distributed computer or computing when it comes to failure, right? You cannot assume that your system's not going to fail. So therefore, you have two approaches. Try to make some system that won't fail, which can't be done, or make your system embrace failure and be able to recover from it. And it's the same thing with integrity. So as a result of having your data local in your microservices, you'll need to interrogate that data. And that is based on your SLA and whatever business rules or, or federal rules applied by the government or what have you that you need to apply. That's that's a responsibility that you have to take upon yourself for your microservice. Yeah, a bunch of great points there. In terms of a framework, Anil, I'm thinking of five phases. First, I'm going to plan and architect and design, right? I'm going to build across my microservice environment. Then I'm going to test it. I'm going to push it into production. And then finally, I'm going to need to maintain what I've put out there. That is absolutely fair in terms of an overall deployment model. The architectural model is one that probably needs to be looked at a little deeper in terms of what is the design pattern for that microservice. Something that is repeatable, scalable, 
and deployable, leveraging the approach that you just referenced. That's something that uh, if we can come up with you know, some sort of prototype for that design pattern of how a microservice is architected, it drastically simplifies how you design the overall architecture, the interconnects between said microservices, and how you deploy them securely across your environment. So Brian, there's so many areas of security to go into. There's identity, key management, session management, network security, vulnerability management, and on it goes. When you're thinking about that starting point and you're just planning out the environment, what security considerations do you think developers should be focusing on at that point? It all hinges on identity. And in the DevOps world, it's orders of magnitude more important that any kind of organization that's trying to do a good job with security have a coherent and well thought out approach to identity. And here's why. In the monolithic application environments, there might be one or two instances, and it's pretty easy to identify it. It's running on a static machine with you know, static IP or whatever, and transform now into a microservice environment that's enabled by DevOps. You could have just hundreds or thousands or maybe even more individual containers that are ephemeral. They're not predictable in where they get scheduled or launched. Their lifespan is unknown. Hey, you might not even have containers. You might be running a bunch of lambdas and, and functions as a service. Now, everything that runs in that kind of environment will need some kind of privileged access to something. It's either going to need access to the database or tables that it deals with or an API key for something else or an SSL certificate key to, you know, serve up some TLS data, whatever. But there's going to need to be privileged resources either injected or accessible to that container or that application. So how do you get there? Well, if you can't identify it, you can't authenticate it. If you can't authenticate it, you can't authorize it. So Everything hinges off a form of identity that you can apply to such a dynamic, always changing environment. And it's not easy, but it has been done and, and it is a possibility. But most companies are unfortunately ignoring that and just applying the old way of just shoving secrets in the wrong place or, or putting things in an overprivileged mode just to get it out in the, in the name of velocity. And that's unfortunately, we've all seen, seen the news articles. It's really biting us because there's a lot of lateral movement for attackers, they get in one place and they're free to roam. So to us, it's all about identity. Duncan, from your perspective, what should developers be implementing and doing to manage identities within their microservice environment to build on what Brian was saying? It's an excellent point. I totally agree with Brian. The problem in microservices, i.e. distributed computing, is in a monolith, identity is, as Brian had mentioned, fairly static or contained within certain boundaries. In the microservice environment, identity is composable. So it's basically a whole bunch of little pieces that you may not be able to realize the total identity. And depending on what level of security you're at, the identity could be different. So there's where I think it gets really complicated. And I think it comes back down to trying to keep things as simple as possible. If I have a microservice, say that's a shopping cart, there is a certain set of security rules that I'm going to have to abide by, whatever they may be. Maybe I have to verify session management. Maybe I have to verify, I mean, obviously, identity of the person or what have you, identity of the service that's adding something to my cart or what have you. I need to really determine what those are and implement the appropriate coding solutions or commercial solutions that will address those. And I forget who said it earlier that security kind of takes a back shelf, just like testing does in many ways. And that's going to come back to bite us. That's something that we're going to have to really focus on. And someone else mentioned your average developer is not up to snuff on security and what it means. 
And so that's something that I think is going to have to be added to your generic comp sci course. People are going to need to understand that because in a distributed environment, in this new frontier that we're in, there's a whole different way of dealing with reality. And we cannot use the same practices that we used before. And one last thing I wanted to mention, it had been mentioned about a kind of like a design pattern for microservices. I feel at least from an architecture perspective, the reactive manifesto that was built by Jonas and, and the guys at Netflix and everybody kind of lays out at a very high level, albeit the approach one should probably take when building a microservice. But one thing it doesn't really cover at all is security. So that's why talks like these, are, I think, are crucial. Okay, so I'm, I've started to plan out the application. Let's say I've somehow leaped forward and I'm now building that application and I'm doing some static code analysis and doing some other basic testing for vulnerabilities. What are some of the other key things that I should be looking out for there as I'm building that application so I've moved out of this plan phase? Well, I think one of the key things that people ignore is data at rest. There's a lot of uh, emphasis on data in motion and securing that, but how many times have we read an article where somebody was hacked and their data was compromised. And you have to stand back and say, well, how could that be, right? Their data should have been encrypted in the database if they're public facing. I had the pleasure, well, maybe the pain, of owning an ISP many years ago. And when we would stick servers on the DMZ, there was all kinds of crazy stuff we had to do to secure them, create fake accounts and all kinds of stuff like that. And I think that's the way we have to look at this type of stuff. So if we have a database, if it's something that we control or if we're pawning it off to a vendor that perhaps, you know, provides services for databases or whatever, we have to ensure that they're taking the appropriate steps to encrypt that data because that's the last line of defense. Once once they get into the actual data itself, then, you know, it's, it's pretty much over there. So we have to protect that. So Anil, at the early phases of development in the early side of the cycle, what else should I be looking at um, beyond what Brian Duncan and Peter have been talking about so far? I'd like to posit that there's probably two letters that we need to add to our CICD pipeline, and that's CA, or continuous assurance, where we can continuously assure that our security controls are in place. Now, to do that, you need some sort of machine-readable format that allows you to, first off, identify what those controls are, identify how you're going to assign said baseline of controls to a target information system, and then assess the efficacy of, efficacy of those controls once they are indeed implemented. So uh, NIST has embarked on a project called the NIST Open Security Controls Assessment Language, or OSCAL, that is intended to do exactly that. Uh, so I actually spoke about that at DockerCon last week, about uh, enabling continuous compliance or continuous assurance, leveraging NIST OSCAL. So that's that, uh, something that people can take a look at and uh, start uh, understanding. It's at pages.nist.gov slash O-S-C-A-L, all uppercase. Um, that'll allow you to, again, embed continuous assurance um, into your CI-CD pipeline. Makes a lot of sense. And who would ever push back on more letters being added to an IT acronym? So who wants to weigh in on um, continuous assurance? What tools should I be thinking about there as a developer that's going to help me get to that level of assurance? The first thing you need is the standard. The standard will enable the tools. So the standard is still in the process of development, which is different than the way NIST has historically developed standards where you traditionally develop a SP or special publication, put it out for comment, and then finalize it. This is actually a open source project. The, the repo is public on GitHub. Folks can see the code as it's being developed. So the tool sets to enable the same currently don't exist because the standard is in the process of being developed. 
The goal is to get to a 1.0 release by early 2019, at which point then tool developers can leverage the standard um, and incorporate it uh, directly into their product stacks. And I think I heard, was it Duncan who was going to chime in as well there? Uh, it was actually Brian. Brian sorry. I'm really encouraged to hear Anil talk about this because the product I uh, run engineering for, which is called Conjure, has a pretty similar concept. We use a YAML-based declarative infrastructure as code approach that it sort of enforces a separation of duties for that kind of continuous assurance. And in it, a developer will sort of declare, hey, I'm building a microservice. It needs these privileged resources or our access to these things. And it goes into source control, just like any other part of the application. And as it flows through the CI pipeline, a security officer or some someone from the, the security side can review that and give it a thumbs up, thumbs down. And if it goes through, that's basically the ticket for that microservice that gives it the deployment permissions and, and whatever other configuration permissions that are automatically then set up for the CD part of things so that when it does get deployed, it's a continuously auditable, referenceable pathway or permissioning with an RBAC model. So it's great to hear NIST, uh, you know, uh, providing some more stuff there. So I, I definitely think this there's movement in the industry to this, this model. And hey, we saw the success of infrastructure as code or declarative infrastructure and all that in every other area except for security. I think it's great that we're, we're finally sort of using that and leveraging it for a secure development wor- uh, world with microservices too. So Peter, what questions do you find that some of the customers you're working with are asking around securing this sort of first part of the development life cycle when it comes to microservices? What I'm seeing uh, a lot of conversation around is how if I take that YAML-based definition of what my continuous assurance is going to look like in the repository, but I don't necessarily want my developers to be able to change that because I want to ensure that that occurred. So you find different strategies around how you can make sure that everything that gets pushed down the pipe is going to have certain things applied to it so that I've got certain assurances that I have done all the right things, that I have made sure that uh, my security checks have occurred, that I have ensured that all of my appropriate testing and uh, I, I've properly aligned it into my operational model so that I understand where notifications are going to come from, what my feedback loop is going to look like, and all the rest of the things that I also need as along that pipeline. So I've seen people do this from either splitting um, the SCI into two, so the scheduling system will handle one side, which the developers can go to town on putting all the different build configurations and all the things they need to be able to control there, and then locking it down from the CI on another piece where you have a second CI, which is much more controlled and locked down and that will handle ensuring that that assurance occurs on uh, delivery out into whatever the target uh, architecture needs to be. All good points to think about. Duncan, in this new world of microservices, how are you thinking about network segmentation? What are some of the best practices developers can think about? So we talk about the CAP theorem, consistency, availability, and partition tolerance, which is, is similar to the CIA triad for security. And See, the thing about microservices that, that um, I think is such a difficult thing for people to accept is that each microservice has its own identity, its own reality. And that reality is determined by partially the architecture, but also the service level agreement for whatever that microservice is. So one of the questions I'm often asked is about eventual consistency. Well, how long is it going to take? And my answer is, is, well, how long do you want it to take, Right. Literally. So not, you know, everybody wants it to happen in two nanoseconds, but the reality of it is, is do you really need to do that? We could do that if you want, but it's going to cost more. You have to determine what is the reality for that microservice. So 
when it comes to consistency and availability and, and network segmentation or partition tolerance, the idea is, is that what is this service? What is it providing? What would happen if it's not available, say, for five minutes or 10 minutes? What would happen if there was some form of segmentation in the cluster and now we had a, some form of split brain going on? How are we going to handle that? So you really have to look at it for each individual service that you're using. And I, and I think that's one of the struggles because that requires more effort. With a monolith-style approach, it's kind of like one-size-fits-all, but with microservices, it's totally different. So I really would say that you have to analyze that for each independent microservice on their own. That goes for security as well, too, right? If my microservice is just posting scores from the local soccer game, how much do I need to invest in security as opposed to if I'm doing multi-million dollar transactions for my customers? So I think that's really, unfortunately, I don't have a specific answer for every use case. You have to take each one at a time and interrogate it. One of the things I've seen there is where they have a uh, the need to develop an application security policy or standard, which doesn't exist at this point, because with the monolithic world, we very much define all our policy and standards in large enterprises based on the infrastructure and the surrounding environment and how we're going to secure that. Whereas in the microservices world, we now need to start to understand how exactly does that application get deployed and how is it managed and what does it exist at? Exactly. And, and I, I would add just one thing. As with identity being composable, across a, a distributed system or a microservice-based architecture. I would also argue to some degree, security is also composable because there, there may be services where we don't want to invest the money because the data is public or whatever. Makes sense. Thank you. The back half of the dev life cycle, there's a lot more to get through. To list out some of the areas that a developer may want to think about They've got to think about config and updating, monitoring that environment, potential DDoS at a layer seven or maybe volumetric type of attack. And then, of course, as Duncan, you started to get into a little bit was incident response. So out of those major areas, which ones bubble up, Brian, for you when you're thinking about some of the biggest challenges that developers run into? The fact that the amount of areas you had to list there Took a long time just to say them all and, and just, the, just the broad range of technology challenges or attack vectors. Just listening to you ask the question is like, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way we can train developers to really coherently defend against this or have a profession that can reliably deal with this. This has to be a multi persona effort where operations, security, uh, infrastructure, SREs, everybody is going together. And I think one of the real sad things that's happening in our industry is that developers are just being asked to do everything. They're all very smart and the developers, you know, they get where they are because they, they can do some amazing things. But, we, you know, you can't be an expert in all those areas. And even if you can pull together a good monitoring solution and good sort of capability in the cloud, whatever, securing it as well as that is just monumentally difficult. But if I was to pick, I would pick the configuration of applications and using the 12-factor app model is one of the great enablers for Velocity. And a lot of things stem from that and a lot of things get simplified when that model is used. And that means injecting things into configuration or excuse me, into the environment that would typically be sort of read manually by the developer from a file or whatnot. Monitoring and logging, configuration, tracing, circuit breaking, whatever, more and more they're getting abstracted away and taken care of by experts in the domain. So if you look at the sidecar model that a variety of vendors or open source projects are providing, 
things are getting easier. You know, how do I route my request to a live destination? Well, it used to be, you know, stick an IP address in a config file and hope that the, that's pointing to a load balancer or something and it gets to its destination. Well, now you need dynamic routing. Things are moving around all the time. So that problem is getting solved by a variety of technologies being given to developers and we're hoping that these get adopted and people stop building all this stuff themselves. So what the developers can do is focus on isolating microservices down into the smallest thing they can just really, really handle, do it as simply as possible, follow the 12-factor app model, and don't try and become security experts or distributed systems experts all at once. You know, Just build an app and leverage the work of giants <laughs> elsewhere. Anil, you deal with this all the time as well, trying to you know help customers figure out what is the role of the developer and where do they start and stop and where does the role of the security team begin and end. Adding on to what Brian just eloquently explained, where would you draw that line or how do you help customers draw the line between the developer and the security team? It really comes down to, do you interface with the security team before, during, or after you build the application? Traditionally, security is brought in after you're well underway which tends to slow down the development life cycle and security ends up in the position of saying no. You know, an analogy from a security standpoint are brakes on a car, right? If you take the brakes off the car, um, you can go really, really fast until you hit a curve in the road, you try and make a turn and you crash. You want brakes so that they're there when you need them to slow down or on the curves, but not to to make you stop, just so that you can continue to go fast with enough brake pressure to make those turns safely and securely without crashing your car. So to that end, um, inviting security into the development life cycle, doing so in a programmatic fashion via a continuous assurance model is probably the wisest approach, thus the thus NIST embarking on the development again of this open security control, control assessment language, so that, you know, really security can be in the position of not just saying no, but enabling development of applications, enabling agility without sacrificing security. Duncan, I think it was you who early on was talking a little bit about Kubernetes. Are there certain areas of the microservice stack, whether it's the network, host, container, orchestrator, directory, APIs, and all the way up to the application itself, where where you might focus on as a developer. We've been looking at it through the development lifecycle. We've looked at it from a security countermeasure point of view, but thinking of, about it from the perspective of the stack, are there certain areas that you see as additionally problematic and then maybe on the flip side that might actually help the developer? I would come back to the notion that security is an onion and there's many, many layers to it. So I, I think some basic understanding of the importance of security and various security patterns that can be implemented in microservice architectures need to become more common. I don't remember who said it, but it is a sad thing that security is kind of like an afterthought. I'm as guilty as anybody. I've often said security is orthogonal. And in many ways it is, but in many other ways, it should be part of the DNA of an application. So the different things we have out there like Kubernetes and, and some of the the containers that are coming about are, are really awesome. They're providing us with some features that we had to implement in a different way. When I first pushed out a large distributed application back in 2011, we pushed it out to a vendor. And at the time, they had never done anything like this. So 
when we were telling them, hey, we have 32 JVMs running and we want to be able to talk back and forth, they're like, well, you can't do that. Right. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. You have to do that for us. You have to open up your router tables. And so there was this whole big, long process of figuring out what is the best and most secure way to do that, because we were building a multi-tenant system that would control energy utilization for customers. So it was very important that it was secure. And so as we see these types of things bubble up into containers and the stuff like that, that's really good. But on the flip side, I think the developer in and of themselves needs to um obviously they can't master security that's that's not going to work because you'd be a jack of all trades and a master of none but they need to be at least cognizant of it and know how to ask the right questions we all use google to search for things the biggest issue is what question do i ask to get the answer so we've been talking a lot about the downside of microservices from a security perspective, some of the, the additional attack surface and some of the new challenges that emerge are just exacerbating many of the old challenges we've been dealing with. Are there any benefits from a security perspective that I get, Brian, by moving into a microservice environment? Absolutely. We don't want it all to be uh, doom and gloom, but there's, there's a lot. So first of all, if you have a decomposed microservices architecture and you are breached, you might be able to limit the breach to just one microservice. Whereas before, if your monolith was breached, it's game over. The entire the castle has been breached and everything's everything's uh, you know gone. So that's one part of it. The other part is that with the amount of technology advancement that's happened and just like the crazy amount of innovation going on, there's a lot to leverage that can make people developers especially, go faster, more safely. And for example, I think it was Duncan earlier mentioned composable identity or composable security models, which I think is a great phrase. And, and we do that in our product, and I'll just give an example. We call it multi-factor authentication for computers. And we're all familiar with multi-factor authentication for humans. You know, you get a text message or, or whatnot. Well, you can have a multi-factor-based approach for authentication if you are working in, say, Kubernetes, because Kubernetes, let's give an example here, it provides an IP address to all the containers it spins up that's predictable and, you know, it uses an overlay network. Now, that alone, IP address, you know, guarantees are not enough for security identities or anything like that, but it's a factor. Then you can use some of the Kubernetes APIs or some of the controls it has that are very trusted to add more factors to that. You could also deploy something onto the application itself, whatever, you can you do all kinds of things. But you can build up a multi-factor, multi-faceted awareness of the application so that if you need to do something highly privileged or highly sensitive, you can get extreme confidence that the application that is asking for that thing is bona fide. And the only way that it would not be bona fide would be if your entire Kubernetes or uh, pass infrastructure was utterly compromised in a total manner. So there's a lot of really interesting uh, techniques that are sort of coming out that are changing the face of security defense and security development. And uh, the big wish for me and from all of my engineering team, we want to see developers do less. We want to see the platforms underneath and the, um, the ISVs in this world provide more features that take security off the plates of developers and say, look, just do this, don't touch this thing, and you'll be a lot safer than trying to do it yourself. What a great place to end on. And we certainly have come a long way in a short period of time. 
Anil, do you have a final action that organizations can take away this week as they start to think about their move deeper into DevOps, move deeper into microservices? Absolutely. So, you know, the microservices enable an entire ecosystem of benefits for uh, industry. But, you know, with that said, there are absolute security challenges that need to be carefully thought about and considered. So to that end, understand what the best practices are around securing microservices, architecting microservices, securing containers. Follow those best practices. You design that involves security at the onset. And uh, to the earlier point that was made, we leverage the right technologies to move security out from the job of the developers per se to have to manually implement controls to automate that, leveraging capabilities and technologies that you make into your CICD CA. Pipeline. Duncan, from your perspective, what actions can organizations, <laughs> easy for me to say, what actions can organizations take away this week? So, yeah, I think it's a phenomenal question. <clears throat> we need to learn from historical business models. For example, shipping. That may sound strange, but how do we keep ships from sinking? We bulkhead them, right? If one of the bulkheads gets pierced, then it fills up with water. You have to compromise a whole series of bulkheads. That's the way we have to think about microservices, right? We have to think about bulkheading them, compartmentalizing them, just like we did in the Manhattan Project, right, on a need-to-know basis. That style of thinking is what is going to make our applications more secure as well as more robust. Peter, from your perspective, what uh, should organizations take away this week? I think I agree with everything that uh, people have been saying. It's making sure that your uh, development teams are uh, up to speed. They're working closely with security, that they're leveraging um, the technologies in the right way, and that starting to remove a lot of the pressure on them that they have to suddenly become these uh, the mythical full stack developer who can do everything and making sure that you bake it into your delivery processes so that you can ensure that the right things are happening and that we understand that the out product that's coming out of the end is going to be secure and comply to all the things we need in the organization to support and manage it. Perfect. And Brian Kelly, what actions could organizations take away this week? I would say make security a first class citizen. And that means Everybody takes a part of it and nobody owns it. It's got to be completely collaborative. It's it's not one person's responsibility, it's everybody's. So that means clear separation of duties, clear ownership of the phase of the CICD pipeline, and an understanding that you've probably been breached already. You might even be being breached right now. Deal with that because that reality is, is not going to change. But there's lots of scope for some really, really good approaches and let's let's stop having developers be the ultimate experts or trying to be. Well, thank you for that. And Anil Carmel, how can people reach you? Feel free to uh, email uh, me at acarmel, A-K-A-R-M-E-L, at C2, the letter C, the number two, labs.com. If you'd like to join the Cloud Security Alliance uh, Application Container and Microservices Working Group, go to cloudsecurityalliance.org um, and you can interface with IT security professionals and developers and operators to develop those best practices as to how to secure containers and microservices. We invite you to join. Well, thanks very much. And Duncan DeVore, how can organizations reach you and uh, anything that you're working on that's uh, other than, of course, reactive application development, the book that's going to be coming out soon, they can pre-order on Amazon. Other than that, <laughs> what are you working on? I'm doing a conference talk this week at Scala Days in New York City about distributed computing. So that's going to be kind of fun. And I can be reached at D, just the letter D, at lightben.com. 
or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ironfish, I-R-O-N-F-I-S-H. Peter Madison at Zodiac. How can people reach you in any conferences you're going to be speaking at, articles you're publishing? So, so I'm going to be speaking at uh, Agile 2018 in San Diego start of August about build pipelines and how to implement this at scale across your organization and how opinionated uh, pipelines work. And that can be reached at peter.madison, that's Madison with two Ds, at zodiac.ca. Taking us home, Brian Kelly, how can people reach you and what do you got going on? Sure, so a couple of weeks I'll be at the uh, CyberArk Impact Conference in Boston, which is our big user conference. I'll be uh, there so anybody can find me if you're local. To reach me on Twitter, it's Bri Kelly, B-R-I-K-E-L-L-Y. Or you can hit me up on Slack by going to our uh, website for our open source products. And that is at conjure.org, C-O-N-J-U-R.org. And there you have it. Threat Actions this week for June 19th, 2018. I'm David Senf. See you again next week. The full stack developer is a unicorn. It's not a real thing. Yeah, the 10x engineers just have 10x vulnerabilities in their apps these days. <laughs> and 10 times zero is still zero. So you guys, <laughs> <laughs> still not going to work. Awesome.